Welcome to More Than Abstract. I'm Prangel, and I'm joined by Eric. How are you doing? Doing all right. Uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing okay myself. But, but I gotta ask you first. Did you eat recently? Um, I'm going to as soon as we're we're done with this. Okay. It's, it's good that you didn't eat, because if you ask too many questions here, you, your stomach might churn a little bit. Today I'm going to tell you the story of how the international community came together and solved the overwhelming task of eradicating one of the deadliest diseases to ever afflict humans. I'm talking about smallpox. Perfect. So uh, I'll try to keep the uh, graphic parts of my description out. There will probably be a time where I'll have to get a bit more graphic than I'd like, so I'll, I'll give a warning to our listeners who are a little bit squeamish. Sounds like a good plan. Sadly, Eric, you don't have the luxury of uh, turning down the volume. You have to li listen to me. Oh no, that's the worst part. Oh, that's the worst part. Doing the research was a bit tough for me, because uh, like, I'm a bit squeamish myself. I, I, it was it's a bit hard. Uh, but I told you I was uh, excited to talk about this. Um, one of the reasons was is it was because the one of the last places smallpox was present was in India, and my grandfather actually caught the virus twice and survived it. I oh. thought I'd talk a bit about that. And survived it twice. Yeah, he survived it twice. Uh, very lucky. Okay. <laughs> Say for a moment, instead of being worried about getting COVID or something. Uh, you're worried about another virus that's more contagious once you're in contact with someone who has it and is an order of magnitude more deadly. That's really scary. And it, that's been the case for for millennia uh, before its eradication. People aren't really sure exactly when smallpox came about. It was around 12,000 years ago, probably from Africa, maybe some rodents or something. We don't really know. But it's been around for such a long time that it's... Uh, before its eradication, it was pretty much an accepted fact of life, an accepted fact of life, that someone will probably get smallpox and probably die from it. People really did fear uh, ever catching smallpox. Its, its fatality rate was about thirty percent, so that's pretty bad. Yes, that is definitely bad. If you compare it to COVID, it's it's also pretty bad. Uh, but we think pretty bad is three to two percent. So it's just a different level of bad you said an order of magnitude so absolutely it was so bad in fact that people started making deities or like demons out of smallpox so i think in hinduism there is a smallpox god that i guess people pray to to uh, not uh, get their wrath that's actually really interesting the ancients couldn't really do anything about it so they just either got it and died or were immune but before we can talk about uh, how we eradicated it we have to know our enemy to be able to fight our enemy so let's let's talk about the insides of this disease starting off uh there's usually two ways that people can get in foreign infections uh it's either a virus or bacteria in the case of smallpox it's something called the variola virus uh, and it has two types the major and minor version but in this case it's not like musical notes where there's also a sharp and flat version no. <laughs> I, i'm glad there's not What's the difference between the major and minor? Is it just the intensity? Yeah, it's mostly just the major is more severe, the minor is uh, more mild. Okay. Uh, so uh, when people refer to smallpox being deadly, they're talking about the major version of this. Makes sense. So people are probably more well-versed on what a virus is nowadays, but I, I'll go over it again. Uh, imagine something like an egg, but instead of an egg shell uh, that's made of calcium carbonate, it's made of fats. Inside this egg analog, you have a strand of DNA, a good-sized strand, along with some proteins in it. Okay. 
So this one, this virus comes along, finds a cell, the cell wall will let the virus in, uh, thinking like, oh, it belongs here. It's pretty much welcome. Now here's where the path differs a bit from other viruses. Variola virus stays in the cytoplasm. The cytoplasm is the part of the cell with all the organelles, you know, the mitochondria, the food, water, other stuff. Okay, yes, I understand. Uh, once it's there, it just starts pumping out this material using the strand of DNA that it has to uh, make more of itself. Pumping, pumping out what material? Uh, it's uh, more viruses to oh, infect other cells. got it. So it, it does this, so on and so forth. And uh, I'm not a doctor. I just want to put this out there. Uh, I don't know how a virus uh, makes people have symptoms, but somehow it does just by making more of itself. And if it has, it has enough, it can be bad symptoms. This is different from something like COVID because the coronavirus uses um, has RNA inside the egg instead of a DNA, and it needs to get through to the nucleus of a cell, so it has two barriers to entry rather than staying at the cytoplasm. Do you, do you mind um, explaining what the difference between the DNA and the RNA is? Again, I'm not a doctor, but uh, what I understand is the DNA has two strands while the RNA has one strand. I guess they can both make proteins, but the DNA, DNA needs one more step to make the proteins. I guess they're kind of, they're, they're similar things. That's all but I'm they're both comfortable saying. They're both strands of genetic code. It's one's a double helix, one's a single strand. Yeah. Is what I'm yeah. understanding. Yeah, yeah. This genus of the virus is something called an orthopox virus. There are cousins to smallpox or uh, within this genus of orthopox viruses uh, called horsepox, monkeypox, cowpox, and uh, they'll be become more relevant later on. Okay, that'll be interesting. I don't know who named this stuff. Like, who, who called it horsepox, monkeypox? Like, why? I don't know, but I dig it. I dig it. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, uh, that's the microscopics of it. Uh, what does it do to people? I'll try to keep the description as clean as I can, uh, but let's start off with the symptoms. So you start off with getting a rash. There's an incubation period, and then uh, someone starts developing a rash somewhere in their body, and it starts getting these uh, little bumps that form on it. By the fourth day, these bumps turn into pimples that have a bit of fluid inside them, and they'll keep growing uh, all over your body until about the 10th day. So okay. Then something gross happens, uh, and by around the 20th day, the pimples begin to scab over and eventually leave scars on people, uh, which they will have for the rest of their life. All over, like... Yeah, uh, they, they'll have these bumps all over, and I, I assume they would scar as well. There is a, a social stigma that some people would be shunned because they have these scars from ha getting smallpox. Why? They have antibodies. That's like, yeah. that's a good sign. They're like the best people to live. They, they survived. <laughs> I want one as my roommate. So uh, by this point, once they have all these uh, scabs and stuff, it would have a 30% chance of killing the host. So that's an order of magnitude worse than COVID. A lot of people used to get it back in the day. Like nobody was safe. Like uh, George Washington, I believe, had it. And even monarchs died from it. I didn't know George Washington had it. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I think in his paintings, he wanted to be... Um, I, I guess his side where he's got the scars, he didn't want that to show. I understand. I get it. Yeah. But it was it was more commonplace for there to be outbreaks of disease uh, where a lot of people die. So people getting smallpox and dying from it was just another, another Tuesday. I'm glad our Tuesdays don't look like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please never go back to the past. It's <laughs> awful there. 
while smallpox is pretty contagious, you really need personal contact with someone within six feet to really be at risk of getting it. And once you survive, you'll be totally fine when, if you get it again or, you know, for the rest of your life. So there would be these groups of people who have survived from the virus uh, that would take care of a lot of the sick, pe sick people who got it and just need help. Because people would be scared to just go in there like, ah, I'm not, I'm not getting smallpox. Get out right. of here. What? I get it. I absolutely get it. And if you're the guy living next door is completely immune, he makes perfect sense to be the one to take care of someone who's sick. Yeah. It just makes no sense to me why people would uh, shun someone for having had smallpox at some point. Uh, it has to be a lack of understanding. <sighs> Must be. Um, so you mentioned you're safe at, at a distance, but what's the easiest way for it to be transmitted? It's usually through fluids. So if someone sneezes or um, the fluid from these pimples gets on you oh, in some fr way. From the pimples? It, would that be like, would they be contagious if someone like breathed on you or touched the same surface? Um, I don't know. Uh, all I know is that if someone sneezed in the same place and you breathed it in, you mm -hmm. would probably get it. Okay. But this is supposed to be a story of how we got rid of the scourge of smallpox. Uh, so how exactly did people do that? Well, the earliest records of this happening was in China, where there was this thing called variolation done. It's not the same as inoculation, that, you know, the, va the vaccination stuff. That is do. that named variolation because it's the variola virus? That would be clever. Um, I didn't actually look into the etymology, but that, that would be clever. <laughs> Okay, I, I like the way words relate to each other, so that's the first thing I thought of. You know what? I, I like that thought process. So, um, I'll get a bit graphic here. So if you want to, if, if you're a little squeamish, skip about 30 seconds till I'm done with the description. So how this uh, variolation thing worked, you need to have someone who has smallpox, like the major version of the virus. Wait about 10 days till they have these pimples with the fluid on it. Then uh, someone just rubs this infected person with some cloth to capture a bit of the material, comes off of it in this rag, and then throw it on some other dude who wants to be immune, lock them in a room for, I don't know, a month or so until their symptoms are gone, and either they die or they're immune. It, ha it, was, it had a fatality rate of about 2 to 3%, so it's better oh. than getting it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I guess two to three percent was just the better option in those days. And that's think a of much, in like fifteen hundreds China. It, that's such I mean, a better option than like the default thirty percent. Yeah, it just it would suck for that uh, time that you have the virus. I wonder if it's because people are like healthy when they get it, and they're they're choosing to get it at a time when they're more likely to survive. I think it's more that uh, the fluid in the virus uh, in in these. Uh, in pimples was like minor form or something oh I, either way it, it gave you more mild symptoms of the virus than picking it up from the from a sneeze or something okay yeah yeah people would be locked in there because they could actually transmit it to other people so yeah really um social deprived that, that would be such a hard choice as a person to to make yeah yeah it's scary disease man i'm glad we don't live in the past Yes, yes, thank God. So gross description over. Uh, no more of that. But, but you might be interested in how inoculation got to the West and how it's different from variolation. So there used to be this old wives' tale 
that if you got smallpox at some point, you could never get, or sorry, if you got cowpox at some point, you could never get smallpox. Okay. And there was this Dr. Uh, Edward Jenner who heard this tale and did a bit more research. Turns out, it's got some merit to it. You don't usually have old wives' tales that actually work. No, this you one does. really don't. Throw salt over your left shoulder and, I don't know, you're lucky again. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should start throwing salt. Since uh, they're part of the same genus, both of the orthopox virus genus, if people get cowpox, they'll get relatively mild symptoms, and the same antibodies can be used against smallpox if, it ever come, if you ever come in contact with it. So that's kind of what uh, Jenner did. He, he took some live cowpox from someone, stuck it in someone who wanted to be immune, and then after a bit, they're, they're immune. They don't even transmit it to anyone else, like the variolation stuff. I, I can't imagine how they would test for that. Uh, they, take people's words, a I, bunch of lies. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually where the word vaccine comes from. It's from some Latin meaning of or from a cow. Really? So I think vaca means cow. I love it. <laughs> yeah. So once that was out, people really wanted to get immunity from this terrible disease that only... That, that only scarred and tormented its hosts, even after they got uh, immune to it. But along with that, there grew a small aversion to the vaccine. There would be cartoons of people with cows growing out of them. Uh, let me just send you this picture. Oh, I've seen some before, and I am excited. Oops, I, saw, I sent you a picture with the bad picture. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I've seen this one. I haven't seen the bad picture. Uh, just, but... I'll just delete it, because I don't want to see it. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting instead of calling it a vaccination in the caption of the picture you shared it says inoculation yeah people knew latin back then so they were like cows nah i'm stretching here is there uh, a linguistic difference between vaccination and inoculation besides the word cow that i don't know let me look up the etymology of inoculation in the sense in middle english it's graft a bud or shoot into a different plant what? Oh, so graft, I guess. That's where it would come from. Okay, I can, I get that. Graft into another plant, taking that genetic information from the cowpox into the person. Okay, I see that, that line of thought. But yes, I've seen that picture before, and it's hilarious. It's so funny. It's just like, there's a line of people, and all of a sudden, once you get the shot, cows start coming right out of you. <laughs> they couldn't even get out of the building before cows started. But eventually, en enough people got vaccinated or got the virus naturally and got immune to it, that herd immunity really took hold. And in the, in, in the industrial world, around the early to mid-20th century, smallpox was pretty much gone. I have a, an off-the-wall question then. Mm -hmm. Is herd immunity another cow reference? <laughs> oh, man, I love I that. <laughs> I've never had to think about that before. Oh, that's amazing. I hope so. <laughs> right? <laughs> At this point, I really hope that all of medicine is just a cow reference. This is... <laughs> well, if you dig deep enough in Latin, I'm sure you'll find it somewhere. All right. Well, by this point, uh, the vaccine was pretty refined, so it used a different uh, form of the virus. So it uses used the horsepox virus, or the vaccinia virus, another vaca thing in there. So the horsepox thing is the same thing I talked about before. It's the same genus but it's apparently safer for people. But as you might be able to guess, the virus, if the virus exists anywhere, it will eventually reach everywhere. So 
the international community really had to come together and it started the largest vaccination campaign in history to get as many people in the world vaccinated as they could because people were still alive at this point who knew the horrors of smallpox so they they knew uh, how terrible it could be i saw the bad picture i agree yes so this whole vaccination campaign was pretty tough sometimes just because there were a lot of parts of the world that had awful infrastructure. So you couldn't exactly load up a truck with vaccines and send it out there and get, give, her, give everyone jabs. It took a long time to bear fruit uh, before it really bore fruit. There's also uh, something similar to what we have today, where people were just a bit worried about getting the vaccine. So often you would see that religious leaders or influential people would advocate for getting the vaccine to put people's minds at ease. Does that sound familiar to you? It does. Turns out we're not too different from um, our ancestors. Humans are humans, man. What I've learned is the only thing that's really changed is our rate of communication. Ain't that the truth? But one of the last places for smallpox to be eradicated in was actually in India, where there was absolutely awful infrastructure in the mid to late 19th, uh, 20th century. And there's just so many people that you just... Yeah. Like, making a billion vaccines is easier said than done. Delivering them and giving them is easier yeah. said than done. It's a massive undertaking. This is where some of the differences between uh, COVID and smallpox can be exploited. Ooh, exploited? Uh, what do you mean by exploited? Well, so smallpox, it can mostly be... It, it mostly spreads through outbreaks in pockets uh, rather than going into um, too much past its community. You really only start spreading it once you have symptoms, and there are no asymptomatic carriers out there. Yes, that is, I guess, one upside to it. Downside, you're going to die. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> when you got it and can give it to other people, you'll know for sure that you have it. So right. instead of vaccinating everyone, the outbreaks are really what got attention from these uh, vaccination campaigns. And the areas and villages around these people would get as vaccinated as they can. So instead of targeting the more at-risk population like we're doing today, they could do it geographically. Yeah, yeah, that's, it was a containment strategy, and it worked wonders. No, that sounds really smart, actually. Yeah, it's, it's different from COVID. Or, well, we don't know what's going to happen at the end of this. But I would suspect that um, it would be difficult to do this containment thing just because of the asymptomatic carriers. That perfectly makes sense. And also airplanes exist now. Well, yeah, that's true. That is also true. Uh, this was India in uh, the 20th century, mid-20th century, where where wasn't really good uh, movement to people. So the naturally occurring major variola virus was eradicated in October of 1975. And we even have a picture of the last person to be afflicted with this kind of virus. Are you sharing that picture too? I, I won't show the picture because it's, okay. it's so, someone who has the virus. But it was a three-year-old girl from Bangladesh. And just imagine, you'd be famous as the last person to have this disease. And you, there would even be a picture of it. Like, when, we, when I think of smallpox, I think of, oh, it's got to be like an ancient thing. Like, you must have gone past that years and years ago, way before anyone I knew. But... No, we have a picture of them. I know. That's what drives me crazy about a lot of modern problems. Yeah. So, it's gone. Just imagine, if something that were so endemic and debilitating that is just gone from the earth after decades of work, never to return. It's amazing, really. Yeah, that is fantastic. But just in case it does come back, 
the U.S. has a stockpile that can pretty vaccinate about two thirds of the U.S. population, and there's ways to make way more. So I knew they had a stockpile. I didn't know they had that much of a stockpile. It's like 200 million vaccines in stock. The hard thing would be getting it to people, not making it. Yeah. So you might have heard there's threats of bioweapons and stuff being made of smallpox. Um, but at I this have. point, we have a lot of vaccines out there and ways to make more. That if, if it ever does sprout, out, uh, sprout up, then we just use the same containment strategy that we have. You know, this isn't the only uh, one we're eradicating. Polio is another illness that we're really, really close to getting rid of entirely. Good. Like, uh, uh, before COVID, we were really close to it. There, there was like only a few hundred people who had polio in 2019. And in the coming decades, we might actually see an, another disease added to the list. Good. Let's set the bar to 10. Yeah. So that's all I have for you, Eric. What do you think? We have that many vaccines saved? Oh my god. So much. Yeah. I'm still hung up on that. Like, how, how long do they last? Are they just, like, super, like, the negative 40 degrees? Are they going to last decades down there? I don't know. But I guess we do know how to make more of the we horse do. box thing. We did it once. We wrote it down. Yeah, we'll do it again. Exactly. You know, the thing about this vaccine is that it's got a, a fatality rate of about 1% to 2% from allergic reactions. Or, sorry, not 1% to 2%. 1 or 2 out of a million will die okay. from this vaccine from that allergic is... reactions. Feel much better about that number. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, not one to two percent. That's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, but it, that's so so much better than than the chances of getting it. Yeah, thirty percent. I can't imagine. All right. So if you like this episode, uh, please consider subscribing and leave a review. Tell us what you think about it, and tell a friend about it. And if you want some supplementary material, material, I have some pictures from this episode that aren't graphic. Uh, I'll put it on our Twitter at more abstract. I monitor that, so if you leave a comment on, on what you think about it, and, you know, if, if you have some ideas you can uh, on topics that uh, I can talk about, you, you can give it there, too. And you can find more episodes wherever you get podcasts. <laughs>